So I want you to go to uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah. This is in the Old Testament, one of the, one of the minor prophets uh, in the book of Jonah. And then your outline is uh, in your bulletin this morning as we continue in this series on breakthrough. We're going to be talking about running from God. Running from God. What does it mean to run from God? How do we run? I want to answer three questions. How do we run from God? Why do we run from God, first of all? How do we run and what happens when we run? And then thirdly, what is, how does God respond to our running? And so this is a part of the process that we're talking about in the process of brokenness. In other words, brokenness is simply about God leveraging everything that enters into our lives for the purpose of helping to conform us to the image of Christ. So that everything that you go through, whether it's a deep, dark valley or maybe it's a little more shallow, if you allow God to use that, he can use it to form and to fashion you uh, to be like Jesus. So we're talking about breakthrough, but before breakthrough can come, we have to experience brokenness that leads to breakthrough, that then leads to the blessing of God. Now last week we looked at uh, the Apostle Peter and the process of brokenness. What is the process that God takes us through by which we are broken that brings us to the point of breakthrough that enables us to experience uh, God's blessing in our lives. So one of the things that I uh, have learned in my life, and you have probably learned in your life, that every single trial that you face that God has allowed to enter into your life, he can use it for your benefit. I, I know you don't believe that. Uh, God doesn't say that every trial, every valley is good and that it doesn't seem to be good, right? But if you allow God to use it and leverage it, and you understand brokenness and the process and the purpose of it, then rather than seeing it as something God is doing to you, you see it as something that God is going to do in you and then ultimately through you. Every single trial, every single valley that you have ever traveled, if you allow God, he will use it to change your character and your conduct. Now, your character is who you are. Your conduct is what you do. Your conduct is made up of your attitudes and your actions. So if you allow the Lord in brokenness to begin molding and shaping, like he, he's the potter, we're the clay, molding us and shaping us into the image of Christ, and he's working on our character. This is who I am. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and then to form into fashion what I do. And so uh, in this process, uh, it is not uh, painless. It is not something that we desire. It's not even something that we pray for. In fact, most of us who go through the valley of brokenness, you are praying for God to either take it away or end it like really quick. Like, Lord, this started at 3 o'clock by 4. Can we be done with this? Can this be over? Like, can I just get the lesson? Uh, can you send it to me, you know, in a letter? Uh, Greg, you need to do this, this. This is what I'm trying to work on in your life. So when you look at this, it gives you perspective as to what Paul meant when he said that in Romans 8, 28, and 29, which are verses we're very familiar with, which people quote all the time, it's, which says that God uses everything. He takes everything and he uses it in our lives to those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. 
Those whom God foreknew, he's going to use all of these things to conform us to the image of Christ. Now, in order for God to journey us through breakthrough and not have us bail out before through brokenness and not have us bail out before we get the, to the breakthrough, uh, we have to persevere. This is what James said in James chapter 1. He says, my brothers and sisters, consider pure joy whenever you face these various trials. Because if you will persevere, if you will remain under the load of what God's doing, then God will conclude, give you breakthrough, maturity, completeness, Christ-likeness. God will do something in you that will forever change you that will then flow through you, that will impact the lives of people around you. But the key is persevering, right? Again, we don't want to persevere. We, we, uh, our instinct, our natural instinct is to fight against it, to run from it, uh, to complain about it, to blame others for it, to do anything other than remain under the load, to remain under the, the trial, the circumstance, the valley that we're walking through so that God can bring it to its full completion, which brings us to faith and maturity in our lives. So we're going to look at a guy named Jonah. Uh, I mentioned him last week, and Jonah was a runner. Uh, God was seeking to bring brokenness in his life because God had given Jonah an assignment. And when Jonah received the assignment, he immediately looked at God and said, eh, not me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm out of here. Uh, I'm not doing this. And so he begins fleeing from the Lord, running from the Lord, as though that were actually uh, possible, right? Only those who are self-deceived in their minds can think that I can run away from God, right? I can escape the Lord. I can go where he's not, even though we know that God says he is omniscient. He is, he, he, he is omnipresent. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere. And so what God desires to do in us and through us, uh, he can only do it by taking you through that valley. When I was diagnosed with cancer, and I knew that this is a deep, dark valley that God was going to see me through, that it was a process of brokenness in my life, that there are obviously some things that God wanted to do in me and through me in this process of brokenness, and I couldn't get up and say, well, God, tell you what, I don't want to do cancer, not doing it, and walk away, right? Not happening. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to flee to? What I really wanted to know is, okay, Lord, if you're going to take me through this valley of brokenness, what is it that you want me to know? What do you want to teach me? What do you want to unveil to me? What is it that you're doing in my heart and my life that will transform me for the rest and the remainder of my, my life? And so... Just to set the context of Jonah, uh, you'll notice in chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Here's what God said to him. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for a port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea in order to lighten the ship. 
But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What did you do? Where did you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them, and they asked, well, well what have you done? <laughs> they knew he was running from, away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. O oh Lord, you have done as you please. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, just to give context to this, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians. And the city of Nineveh itself was about 500 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It was a, it was a, a grandiose city. I mean, it was... It was uh, Beautiful, it had greatness, there was great power. And the Ninevites, um, they, were, they were fierce warriors. People ask me all the time, why was there so much warring going on the, in the Old Testament? Because in that day and time, if you were a nation, you had to be a warring nation because everybody else was a warring nation. And the Assyrians were brutal in their war tactics. And if you were taken captive, I mean, they, they showed no mercy to you as a prisoner before taking your life. And so the Assyrians kept growing in power. And in that day and time, if you were not a warring nation and you were a weak nation, you would be swallowed up by the, the powerful nations around you. And so Israel at this time is not a huge nation, nothing in comparison to the Assyrians, certainly did not have the military might and power that they had. And so it was only a matter of time before the Assyrians began descending upon Israel because they were swallowing up the small nations around them. So in the midst of this, God says, look, the Assyrians' wickedness has come up before me. He says to Jonah, I want you to go, and I want you to give them a message. And the message is one of repentance, right? It is one of turn from your wicked ways, turn to the Lord God who has created you. And Jonah simply says, you know what? I would rather die than to take a message of grace to the Ninevites. I mean, what if they respond to God in a positive way and he forgives them of all of their sins? Not happening. I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm just taking off, right? So Jonah goes to Joppa, buys a ticket to Tarshish, which is heading in the exact opposite direction God has told him to go. In essence, he's saying to God, listen, I know what you want me to do. I'm not doing it, period. It's done. Forget it. I'm not, it's not happening. And so he heads in the exact opposite direction. 
that God is telling him to, to, to go. And so Jonah admits this storm comes up. God, who, who brought the storm? God did. Right? It's God who stirred the waters, brought the storm up. He's about to take Jonah through a period of brokenness. Jonah finally admits to the sailors, I'm the cause of the storm. Throw me overboard. The seas will be calm. And what did God also do? He created a great fish to swallow Jonah. And I want to tell you, after three days in the belly of some kind of great fish, you, you, you do a lot of thinking, right? Uh, things don't look too good for you. And all of a sudden, Jonah, in the midst of those three days, he comes to realize what God is doing in his life. And he says, okay, Lord, uh, I give up. I'm willing to go. I'm surrendering myself. I'm repenting of my sin. I'm surrendering myself to you. And so what does God do? At the end of the three days, when Jonah makes his great prayer of confession in chapter 2, it says in uh, the latter part of that chapter that God had the fish to spit him out onto the seashore. What seashore? The seashore that led to the city of Nineveh. God didn't change the calling. God still wanted him to take the message. And Jonah, the reluctant prophet, walks for three days into that city, and he declares the message God gave to him, and the entire city, including the king, give their life to the Lord God of Israel, and God showers his grace upon them, and Jonah is ticked. He is mad, right? Chapter 4, he has all this anger going on, and the, to end this book, Jonah really never really likes the fact that God forgives them, and he kind of storms off in a huff, and that's the last that we hear from him. So God is in the process, remember, of breaking Jonah, not killing him. And God, in the process of your brokenness, is not trying to break your spirit. He's not trying to kill you. He's trying to bring you to a place of surrender because what God wants for you is what is ultimately best for you and his greatest source of blessing over you. But we have this tendency within our hearts because it's the way we're born in the world. Our proclivity is to be rebellious at heart. Now, some of you, some of you have raised rebellious children, children who were strong-willed is what we call them. And what that just means is they're rebellious, right? So this is why um, being a grandparent is such a glorious thing. It's God's gift to you for not killing your kids. It's just all it is. And so they can get all rebellious all they want, you just send them home. But as a parent, you have to deal with that rebellious spirit. And as our parent, as our Heavenly Father, God has to deal with our rebellious spirit also. And so in the wake of all this, Jonah reluctantly preaches his message, and the city of Nineveh, the Assyrians, turn to the Lord. But here's the lesson that Jonah learned. You can run from God, but you can't outrun him. You can run from God. Some of you guys have been running from God for a long, long time. You can run all you want, but you cannot outrun him. And that's a very important principle for you to grasp and to understand. So I have to ask myself the question. What is the root cause of Jonah's rebellion? Why is it that he was so reluctant to go and do what God wanted him to do? Because it really, I mean, it's, this is no skin off of Jonah's back. I mean, if he goes and preaches the message and the Ninevites, you know, to give their life to Jesus, okay, that's a wonderful thing. 
Um, but that's not what he wanted. That's not what he desired. And there's a reason for that, and it's one of the causes of his rebellion. It's one of the causes and reasons why he picked up and began running from God and going down, trying to go down, at least down to, to Tarsus. And so these are, these are things that the Lord is seeking to remove from us also. Because we're too self-deceived to recognize the rebellionness of our hearts at times. We wouldn't call it running from God, but God would call it running from Him. We would have some other label for it. We would have some other excuse for it. We would have some other reason for it, but we wouldn't call it running. We would not certainly label it as rebellious. We would label it some other way. But here's the, here's the deal, is that rebellion, when it's continued, ultimately causes us to miss out on the blessing that God desires for us. So resistance in experiencing uh, the full power and wisdom and presence of God is found in our rebellious hearts. So um, let's look at this first question. Why do you run? Why do you run? Now when I talk about running from God, I do not mean necessarily that you're going to physically pick up and run like Jonah did. All right, you can sit in church and be running from God, I can guarantee you. And so Jonah, yes, he physically removes himself, but for many of us, here's how our running began. Some of you, were, as I talked about, you know, uh, writing your story, some of you, you were saved as a child in church, you grew up in church, your parents brought you every time the doors were open, and so you got a little rebellious about that as a child growing up. And so you had to go because your parents made you go, but the moment you hit high school, you started, you know, exercising some of that rebellion, or you made sure you got a job so you could work on Sunday so you couldn't come, right? Or when you got to college, you just said, you know what? I'm putting God in the rearview mirror of my life. <laughs> I've got things I want to do, people I want to meet, uh, places I want to go, and I just really don't want God interfering with my life. And so you just flat out rebelled against everything that you were taught in church and every desire that your parent had for you. And so your parents as though they didn't know, you know, they know about your rebellion, and they might be lying awake at night praying that you just don't get yourself involved in something that you, you know, have no return, and so um, you just turned your back for, on God. You, you just started running, and as you're running, it might be that somebody, like, gives you a Bible, invites you to church, you feel like God's tapped you on the shoulder, but in your mind, you're thinking, but, but Lord, um, that's all fine and well. I'm done with that. I'm moving on with my life. You're back here. I'm out here. I'm going to do my thing the way I want to do it, how I want to do it, and uh, just hands off. I got a little rebellious at one point, and, you know, I, I think I've shared this before, and I was going to a party I really had no business being at because I know what was going to be going on there, and one of the young girls who was there said, hey, don't you go to church? I said, well, yeah, and she just flat out looked at me and said, what are you doing here? Well, God used that, right, to bring conviction in my heart because I was on the run from God. There were certain things I did not want to give up. I would say, God, you can have this area of my life. You can have this area, but this, this, and this, hands off. And so that's a, a type of running from God. We're, we're willing to allow him go so far, but only so far. So 
What is it in Jonah's life that caused him to run and rebel? Probably the same things in our life. Number one, and this is true of all runners, is pride. Pride. Now, again, pride's one of those things we don't often see in ourselves. We see it in everybody else. We can't see it in ourselves. Pride just simply says, God, I got a better plan. I know better than you. I'm smarter than you. I've got a better plan. We're going to do it my way. We're not going to do it your way. And so it's in pride that Jonah says to God, Lord, I I got the message. Notice what it said in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. I got the message, but Lord, got a better plan. Not going to do it. I'm heading in the opposite direction. Heck with this. I'm not taking that message down to to the Ninevites. I'm going to choose to go my own way. And so through his pride, he was saying, listen, Lord, listen, watch this. In his pride, he was saying, Lord, you have no right to be merciful and kind to those hideous Ninevites who have caused nothing but pain and trouble, not only in our lives, but also in the nations around us. That's what he's saying. That's a pretty prideful statement to say to God, hey, you got no right to do that. You've got no right to respond that way if they respond in repentance to you. And so pride sits at the root cause of every sin that we've ever committed. You don't really have a problem with God per se, but there's an area of your life right now, and you're just saying to God, you know what? Stay out of my life. I just don't want you involved in this. Uh, God, I, I understand what the Bible says about me dating a non-believer. I'm a believer, and uh, like I'm in the kingdom of God, and, and she's still walking in the kingdom of darkness, and we're trying to build our lives on two separate blueprints, but Lord, she's so cute, and she's so cute, Lord, and it's easier for me to try to get her saved than for you, know, for you to make anybody any cuter, right? So, Lord, but, uh, she's so cute. I, I'm going to run from you relationally because... I know this isn't a good fit, it's not a good relationship, but it's, it's one I'm going to pursue anyway. Or maybe you're running in your marriage because you want out. And you finally met Mr. or Mrs. Wright. You're thinking, well, I got married young. I, I, was, I was too young. I was too inexperienced. And I just, you know, went after the first person that, that I had chance with. But now I'm smarter and wiser and Lord, it's just not a good fit. But Mr. or Mrs. Wright, I've met them. They're my soulmate. So I want to bail on this relationship so I can engage in this relationship. Why? Because we're, we're so much smarter than God. And, and uh, Lord, it's just, I'm telling you, this is, this is it. This is why Paul says in Romans 12 too, listen, stop, stop conforming your mind to the pattern of the world. Stop letting the world conform your mind to its pattern but be transformed through the renewing of your mind so that you understand what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will, and walk in it. This is our kingdom calling as kingdom citizens. But we always have a better idea and a better way. We often pray for God to protect our family, our care for our children, take care of this, that, and the other. But Lord, I don't want you messing with this area of my life. And here's why pride is so, um, so difficult for us to overcome is because, I, this is my personal uh, opinion, is that I'm afraid that if I do it God's way, I'm going to miss out on something. Like, Lord, 
you know, if I, if I go to college and I really live for Jesus and I don't experience all the things that I really want to experience, then I'm going to miss out on something. I'm going to miss something that is so good and, and I, I really long to have. Remember that every decision you make, you're putting your feet on a path that leads to a destination. God always wants to put your feet on the path that leads you to the best destinations. Satan counters that by putting your feet on the worst path that leads to the worst destination. So whatever God wants to do in your life, Satan wants to counter that. And therefore, if I'm prideful, I will walk in that counter pathway that leads to some kind of destruction in my life. It's going to lead to something that is very, very painful in my life. <clears throat> Listen, when you feel like God, you know, God is telling you something and you feel rushed about making a decision, be very careful. <laughs> Satan wants you to make a rushed decision. The reason he wants you to rush that decision is because he doesn't want you to think through what it is you're about to do. And pride will say, but I'm wise enough to know. Here's the second reason, is fear. Now listen, uh, Jonah knew that if he's going to go to Nineveh, I don't know how these people are going to respond to me. They might hang me from the gallows. I'm just trusting God at his word that, you know, it's going to be safe to do this. Uh, the other fear was that these people, are, yeah, they're going to repent of their sin and their wickedness, and God's going to forgive them and shower them with grace and mercy. So those were the two fears that were driving Jonah's life. Listen, pride and fear, if you think about it, the stronger the forces of pride and fear are in your life, the greater your tendency is to rebel. Because you resist listening to the voice of God and walking in obedience to the voice of God. Fear simply says, I, God cannot trust you. I have no foundation for that trust. I have no ability for that trust. I just can't trust you in this. Therefore, I will let my fear drive my decision-making rather than walking by faith. Number three is that of idolatry. Idolatry is, you know, it, it is whatever we serve over and above God. You know, God says you shall have no other gods before me. And so it is a God we sacrifice for. It's one that we pursue above all else. And so I have to ask myself, is, is Jesus really at the center of my life? When I'm going through a valley of brokenness, nothing will um, unveil that quicker than a valley of brokenness, right? If all of a sudden you have to scramble to have this relationship with Jesus that's like really deep, that's growing every day, that you've never had before, then it's just unveiled that Jesus really wasn't at the center of your life. He was an addendum to your life. He was tagged on to your life in case you need him in an emergency, but he really wasn't the go-to person in your life. If, I mean, you want your shepherd. I mean, when you feel anxious, when you feel fearful, when you're in a deep, dark valley, what's the first thing you go to? Is it one of your coping mechanisms? Is it one of your ways of self-medication? which can be multiple different things. We've talked about this before. When you're anxious, you know, do you, do you, you got to have a drink. When you're anxious, do you, you, you need to sleep or do you need to shop or do you need to binge watch on TV? I mean, there are a thousand different ways we can try to deal with our emotional turmoil. And, but what Jesus wants to be is at the center of all that. So 
as I began journaling through my journey with cancer, I was constantly asking myself the questions. Lord, um, tell me, where is pride rooted in my heart? Where's, where's pride rooted in my heart? Where is fear driving my decision-making process more than faith? Where does that happen? Father, are there any idols in my life that are really in control of my life other than me tr totally trusting my shepherd to walk me through this valley? And as I, um, I think I shared in one of my blogs, uh, I was quite surprised. I couched this in the prayer of David in Psalm 139. Lord, search my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wayward way in me. Where have I gotten off path? And God, to my surprise, revealed 13 things. That was in seven months. I quit. I figured after 13, that's going to take me the rest of my life to get those things straightened up. But this is what God's seeking to do, right? So God wants to bring brokenness. Why? Because he wants to bring breakthrough in your life so that you have a greater understanding of God on the other side. You have a greater understanding of yourself. You have increased awareness of God's presence. You have increased compassion for others because God is doing a work in you that he's going to do through you. So those are some reasons why we run. You could throw prejudice in there for uh, Jonah just like we had for Peter last week. But let's talk about what happens when you run, because this is the most important aspect of this. Number one is that you will tend to run to the most dangerous, strangest, self-destructive places that you've ever ran to in your life. Right, so what's the first thing that Jonah does? He ran down to Joppa, and he found a ship. He went down into the ship. He eventually went down into the sea down into the belly of a fish, when you step out in rebellion and you start running from God, your next step is always downward. And you will find yourself in some places you never thought you would go. God told him to go to Nineveh. He's heading to Tarshish, which is, again, the exact opposite direction. Listen, when you, when you decide to run from God, Satan will always provide you with an alternative route. Who do you think was speaking into his heart and his mind and saying, you know what, uh, hey, Jonah, uh, I wouldn't do that. If I were you, I'd head in the opposite direction. What's God going to do, right? What, what's he going to do? Just, just run. Just run. Like you, you can, like you can flee, he'll always offer an alternative solution. You've heard me say many times, when it comes to affairs, if you are emotionally ready to have an affair on your spouse, Satan will always provide you with the person. He's going to provide you with whatever you need to facilitate your running and your rebellion against God. Always. And here's the problem. And this is a statement, and you might just jot this down. Ready does not equal right. right? Just because something is available just because something is possible, just because something is ready, doesn't mean it is the right thing to do. I've seen believers who are run, running from God, and they say, well, pastor, you just can't believe it. I mean, doors just open, and I walk through the doors, and just like more and more doors open, and, and, and they ended in the exact opposite place God wanted them because they were running, but they thought because, you know, it just seemed right at the moment 
that it was the right thing to do. It was the right path to take. Listen to me. Satan can open up doors exactly like God can. And he will. So, well, how do I distinguish between the two? You remember what it says? Jonah had a word from the Lord. You have a word from the Lord. It's called the Bible. The Bible represents and unveils 99.9% of God's will. So if what's, what you are about to do in your running is a direct violation of God's written word, it is not from God. Do you hear me? It is not from God. I don't care how many do doors were open. I don't care how the stars align themselves. God will never contradict himself. It's mine. I'm the one making the decisions like, well, you know, I, I just really don't want to do this, so I'm, I'm going I'm to move in the opposite direction. Remember, the longer you run from God, the harder it is to come back. As you run across that bridge, the planks start falling off. Five years maybe turns into 10 and 10 to 15 and 15 into a lifetime, and people run all of their lives and get to the end of their lives and just, just wonder what happened. People running from God run to the most dangerous, strangest, and destructive places uh, in their lives. They run to places that if they were outside themselves, watching themselves, they would say, why are you doing that? Why are you running there? Why are you going there? Why are you doing that? This makes no sense. But when we're caught up in the moment, and it's our lives, and it's us and God, it is, remember, it is so easy for us to be self-deceived. Because our hearts are so deceptive. Does that make sense? All right, so. Here's the thing about Jonah. Like, if I was, if I was Jonah's friend, I would have said something like, Jonah, if you're going to run from God, why the heck would you get on a boat? Man, stay on land, someplace safe. Like, you know, like God can't sink a you know, a, a, a boat on land, he can't throw you into the mouth of a large fish if you're somewhere safe. Um, and yet, this is what we do. We just kind of lose our sense, sense of, of um, good decision-making. So if you're on the run from God, and you're facing a decision, and it looks like everything's lining up, and, and, but Satan's offering you an alternative, you always want to ask yourself this question. Throw this in there. Why do I really want to do this? Why am I really going to this place? Why am I really wanting into that relationship? That little word really makes you stop and pause and check your motives. Right? So if somebody had said, Jonah, why are you really running? Which is what the sailors were doing. It's like, dude. What did you do? Where are you from? Where are you going? What happened? They're asking him the question, really, Jonah, why are you really running from God? To make him stop and pause and think about that, because it keeps us from, from running in places that we really do not want to run. And so it makes perfect sense when you're running from God. It makes perfect sense at the time, uh, but over time, it really doesn't. And listen, rebellion is not always doing the wrong thing. Sometimes rebellion is avoiding the right thing. And maybe God's been pursuing you about your walk with him and some other things, and you're just saying, well, you know, Lord, I, I just don't have time. I, 
my, my schedule and so on and so forth. So don't always think, well, I, I'm running from God. It's always something wrong. But I, I will say this. When you are in, running from the Lord, it's amazing where you're going to find yourself with some of the strangest um, places, the most dangerous places. And as you look back over uh, your life and the decisions you made to get you there, you will think to yourself, that was the dumbest thing ever. Why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? Why did I go there? Why was I following that? Here's number two, is that your life begins to unwind and to unravel. You notice it says that Jonah went down and he paid the fare. He paid the price. There's a price to be paid. Listen, the fare is not going to be like all up front. This is the thing about running from God. You can run from him and nothing's different. Like, you, you, can, you can run from him, and life is just the same today as it was yesterday and the day before that. It's incremental things over a span of time that begins to build and develop. Most people just don't flat out run in disobedience to God all at once. There was a gradual drifting that was happening long before that point of turning into, you know, active rebellion. And here's why, uh, you know, it's not overnight, it's not a weekend it's a decision after decision, and here's why people who run self-destruct. Three reasons why. Number one is that you have just turned your back. When you're running from God, you've just turned your back on the only true source of wisdom and truth. You want to know why our country's in such a, a wreck? Because <laughs> we've turned our backs upon wisdom and truth. You want to know why most Christians' lives become a wreck? Because you turn your back upon God's wisdom and truth. He's the only true source of wisdom and truth, and you find that wisdom and truth in his word, and whatever gray area may not be spoken of directly in his word, God gives principles that help us to discern God's wisdom and his truth. And when I fail to apply God's wisdom and truth, that's what always gets me in trouble in life. And my life begins to unwind, it begins to unravel, and I find myself in destinations that I never dreamed I would ever be in my life. And in your life as well. And so eventually, our decisions come back to haunt us. And we experience the fruit of unwise decisions. This is why some of you have financial problems. It's why you're having marital problems. It's why you're having other problems in your life. Is because at some point you've run from God. You've not consulted. You're not finding out what's God's wisdom, what's God's truth about this area of my life. And you're just going off of what you think is right and what you, your friends are telling you is right rather than adapting and applying God's wisdom and truth in your everyday life and decision-making process that helps you to make the wisest, the best decisions you can possibly make that puts your feet on the best paths that leads to the best destinations. I'm not going to say, I'm not saying that, you know, just because I'm having financial problems, I've not been walking in God's wisdom and truth. You may have those problems even with that. I'm just simply saying, if you're running from God and running from his wisdom and truth, I guarantee you, it's just a matter of time before you eat the fruit of those unwise decisions. Number two, yes, sir. All right. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me to shut up. Uh, here's number two is this, is that when you walk away from God, you walk away from the only source of unconditional love and acceptance. 
Listen, there is nobody in this world who loves you and accepts you more than God than maybe your mama. And she's suspect. Right? So it like, depends on what day it is and how you're acting as to whether or not that love's conditional or not. So when we run from God, we run from that love, we run from that acceptance. Here's what I know. Every single human being, I don't care how macho you are as a guy, every single human being longs for and lives for unconditional love and acceptance. And when you walk away from the only person who can give that to you, you walk away and your love tank is on empty and you will try to fill that love tank with something and in some way, but it's like, as Jeremiah said, drinking from a broken cistern, it just doesn't work. And you're always running to that next relationship, that next person, that next event, that next thing that's going to do it for you, and it just doesn't happen. And thirdly, and this is a principle in Scripture, is that we turn our back on God. We turn our back on the only person who can give us purpose. Everything that's created is created with a purpose behind it. And only the Creator can determine what that purpose is. Since God is your Creator, He is the one who has determined what your purpose is in life. So if I'm running from God, I'm missing out on my purpose. I'm missing out on unconditional love and acceptance. I'm missing out on the wisdom and the truth of God's word. And I guarantee you, in just a matter of time, before you eat the fruit of a lot of unwise decisions, and your life is a wreck, and it is a mess, and then ultimately, who do we blame? God. It wasn't God at all. It was our running. It was our rebellion. And so here's the third thing, is that you, when you're running from God, you hurt the people who are in close proximity to you, right? So Jonah's rebelling against God, running from God. Who did he hurt? The sailors, right? They're, they're casting their cargo off the ship. What are they going to do when they get into port? They got nothing to sell. They're probably working for somebody, so they're going to lose their jobs because they're trying to save the life of a rebellious prophet and Jonah didn't care anything about his life over the lives of the sailors. He'd care less. He's in there sleeping. I mean, that dude is out cold. He could care less about how he's impacting or affecting the lives around him. To some of you, you've, you've experienced a rebellious child, and you lay awake at parents, as parents at night, and you're praying, and you are, you know, you're just like mourning over, over this sense of loss, and you're just on your face before God, and and. Your children are out rebelling, and they're sleeping sound. They're like yeah, oblivious to what you're experiencing as a parent. Or maybe you are, um, you know, you become rebellious. You have a rebellious and selfish husband, and you're, as a wife, you're laying in bed, and he's over there laying sound asleep, and you are anguishing over the fact that this relationship is absolutely in the pot, right? It is just like going downhill rapidly, and you don't know what to do about it anymore. See, we always hurt the people in close proximity when we are running from God. If I'm a father and a husband, and I'm living in rebellion against God, do you not think that that pours out upon my wife and my children? You absolutely bet it does. And so here's Jonah. He's affecting the lives of others. Finally, they drag him out of his quarters down in the boat, brings him up, says, okay, tell us what's happening here, what's going on. And so Jonah finally points the finger at himself, and he has them throw him overboard. So here's number three. How does God respond to your running? How does God respond to your rebellion? Does God wipe you out? 
Did like God throw Jonah inside a fish and just like let the fish swallow him whole and suffocate him? No. It says all throughout these chapters that God prepared something. He hurled something. He appointed something. Why is it? Because, watch this, when you're running from God, remember, God will target the area of your rebellion. He will always target the arrow area. He will choose the circumstance. He will um, arrange the circumstances, choose the tool. He'll control the circumstances not to pay you back, but to bring you back into fellowship with him. God's not out to pay you back. He wants to bring you back. Why? Because he wants the absolute best for your life. But your little rebellious spirit says, oh, no, 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 no. But, Lord, I'm missing out on this, and I'm missing out on this, and I, I'm afraid if I miss out on this, I, I, you know, I'm going to miss out forever. And, it's, it's, you know, if I follow you, it's just going to be dull, and it's going to be boring, and it's just going to be like, oh, no, I went over here. And so God is he's wanting to bring you back because he wants, really wants the best for you. Here's the second thing is, is that God listens to the prayers of those who are on the run. So in chapter 2, what did Jonah do? He started praying to God. He's praying out to the Lord, and the Lord is listening. God has not shut his ears to his prophet. He listened to his prayers, and God responded to the prayers of Jonah because in his prayers, he, 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 dis, he displayed a heart of godly repentance. A heart of godly repentance. God always responds to godly repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. It involves my mind, my emotions, and my will, the part of you that makes decisions. So my mind says, you know what? I'm turning, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to run anymore. I'm turning back to the Lord, and my emotions come along with me and say, you know what? I, I feel sorrowful for what I've done. I, I feel convicted for what I've done, not because I got caught, but because of really what I've done, and I'm choosing as an act of my will I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to run after him because I know that if I run after him, he always has the best for me and for you when we truly follow him. And so in this message, I challenge you today is why not, why not, wherever you're running, stop running. You can't escape the Lord. You can run from him, but you can't outrun him. He can arrange circumstances. He can choose tools. He will target areas in your life, not to pay you back, but to bring you back into fellowship with him. Because what God really wants for you is what is best for you. And this is the purpose for which Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, right? He came, he died on a cross so that you and I could experience the forgiveness of our sins, that we could embrace him as savior of our lives, and that we could surrender to him our will over to his lordship. And when I surrender my will over to his lordship, I give him permission to call the shots in my life because he is the source of wisdom and truth. He is the source of unconditional love and acceptance. He is my creator, and he is the only one who can truly give my life meaning and purpose. What God, this is what God wants for you. And God loves you enough. Watch this. God loves you enough to send you through a period of brokenness in order to bring you 
to a point of breakthrough so that you might experience God's blessing. Let's bow our heads together. Father, um, we just bow our hearts before you this morning and just ask the Holy Spirit to just to take his, his searchlight and look deep within us. God, that you would unveil for us those um, spots of rebellion, those areas in our lives that we're running. We know we're running, or maybe we don't even know we're running. We don't even realize we're running. So we're asking the Holy Spirit to shine his light uh, in the depths of our soul in those areas, Lord, that we're just in deep rebellion, whether it's caused by pride or fear or idolatry or prejudice or whatever it might be, pain, hurt. Um, Lord, we just want to come to a place of surrender. We want to come to a place of healing. We want to come to a place of freedom from our rebellion. Lord, we, we acknowledge before you that we have su submitted and surrendered ourselves over to our enemy for far too long who has given us alternative paths and alternative um, ways in which to deal with the hurt and the pain that is within us and none of which is, is healthy. You, you said to us, Jesus, that he is the thief who only comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And I pray, God, that we, we will no longer allow him to do that to us. We are your children. You are our Father. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And I pray that he who is greater inside of us, Lord, that we would begin surrendering to that greatness, to that power, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead, that we might experience, God, supernatural healing, supernatural grace, Lord, that we might experience supernatural freedom from these areas that have kept us bound up and in rebellion against you. Lord, I know that this is hard for us. It's just hard. It's something that we've held on to for many years. And it's become like an heirloom. It's become something that is comfortable even though it's not good. So, Father, I, I pray that you will, you will literally pry our fingers off of our self-medication, our self-coping mechanisms because they're not doing us any good one iota. And that your Holy Spirit will just wrestle with us until we release those things into your care. And that you'll bring true, authentic change in our lives. And Lord, we'll stop the running. And we'll just stop and bow before you and embrace your grace and your mercy and your gift of love and acceptance as we choose to walk daily in your wisdom and in your truth. This is my prayer for my life for every person here. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask and pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.